Hi, good morning. It is currently 8.40 in the morning, um, and I realize it has been a very long time since I've done a podcast, but I have realized it has given me a lot of time to think about what I was going to do next. Um, and so I've got a little surprise for you. Um, I did not speak about passion, and I feel like that was my fault. I should have spoke about passion considering a 18 year old who is now 19 uh traveled all the way to atlanta to be with thousands and thousands and thousands of people praising god and it was just a marvelous experience i cannot think of another moment that i would want to redo all over again every single year if i could um so someone that spoke at passion jenny allen was someone that I'm sure most of you know and she recommended us read her book uh get out of your head and it was one of the books that I actually purchased while I was in Atlanta and I was thinking to myself there is a book club and sometimes I feel like it's better when I speak it out than just work in my head because the whole point is to get out of your head so I am going to be pretty much reading and doing a little like detailed discussion and then kind of going from there a lot of things that i'll talk about i'll probably like repost on social media that way like you can kind of keep up with what i'm talking about if you're like taking notes or doing whatever like i'll have it on there as well um and if you don't know i do have a portfolio page um it's called kayla brooke b and the b stands for business um considering everything i'm doing i just wanted all in one place for literally everything because it is so complicated keeping up with multiple instagrams for multiple businesses it's just easier if i have it all in one so if you haven't seen it it's on my main profile page and there's a link to the other instagram page for the business so I'm gonna go ahead and kind of get started a little bit I've got a little bit of music in the background playing for you um so for today I'm gonna be reading chapters one through seven and it sounds like a lot but it's really not that much um and then we're kind of going to be discussing like what do you find yourself thinking about the most um what keeps you from believing you can control your life and you know like what are you looking for like what brought you to this place of thinking like hey I need to get out of my head like I'm letting myself control me instead of letting God take control so I'm just gonna jump right into it and like I said I've got a little bit of music playing in the background but not too loud because I don't want to be too distracting but I'm gonna go ahead and get started so the first chapter is called thinking about thinking Take every thought captive, they say. Authors write books for two reasons. Either the author is an expert on the subject or the subject makes the author desperate enough to spend years finding the answers. The latter most most definitely describes me. This morning, I woke up intending to write to you, but first I thought I need to spend time with God. So what did I do? I picked up my phone and noticed an email about something I was working on, which the sender was constructively critical of my work. 
Just as I decided to set my phone down, something else stole my attention. The next thing I knew, I was on Instagram noticing others' wins and glories contrasted with my own work and that progress, and that seemed to not be measuring up. In minutes with my phone, I decided that I was an inadequate writer, and I was spending my life chasing things that meant nothing because I am nothing. I have nothing to say. I was spiraling fast into discouragement. Then my husband, Zach, came in, having just met with God, and I snapped at him. My spiral began to spin faster and more chaotically. In less than an hour, I have diminished myself critically, criticized all of my work, and decided to quit ministry and ignored God and pushed away my greatest advocate and friend. Wow, brilliant, Jenny. And that was only this morning. And now you want me to try to help me with my chaotic thoughts? Well, I hear you. And I imagine all my life I will be in process with this. But because of the discoveries I get to share with you here, instead of my spiral stealing a day, a week, a few years, just an hour into it, there was a shift in my thinking. I did not stay paralyzed. I am free and joyful and writing to you. I want to know that you do not have to stay stuck either. God built a way for us to escape the downward spiral, but we rarely take it. We have brought the lie that are the victims of our th thoughts rather than worries encrypting to fight on the front lines of the greatest battle of the generation, the battle for our minds. The Apostle Paul understood that the war takes place in our thoughts and how our circumstances and imaginations can become weapons that undermine our faith and hope. The Bible records his bold declaration that we are to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive? Is that possible? Have you ever tried? Once a bird flew into my tiny house and wouldn't fly out. It took more than an hour for our whole family working together to catch that silly little sparrow. Shooting the bird with a BB gun? Easy. But capturing the wild sparrow failing through the house was an altogether different task, a nearly impossible one. How much more impossible to capture a wild thought on a fly? Yet the book I build my life on telling me to capture all my thoughts, every one of them, and is God serious? Is this even possible? Because honestly, my thoughts run wilder than the hyperactive sparrow. And yours do too. I see the same wild chaos in your eyes and those nearly every woman I met. Like the young woman in so much pain who sat across from me this week, drowning in anxiety. She has been fighting for two years. She looked at me, pleading, help me, tell me what to do. I do not want to live anxious, she said. I'm counseling, I'm in the Bible study, I'm willing to take medication, and I want to trust God. Why can't I change? Why do I feel so stuck in this? Goodness, I relate and have fought the same thing. It's incredible if you think about it. How can something we can't control of so much who we are determine what we feel and what we do and what we say or don't? We dictate how we move or sleep and inform what we want, what we hate, and what we love. How can the thing that houses all those thoughts and just a bunch of folded tissue complain so much of what makes us who we are learning to capture our thoughts matters because how we think shapes how we live the subject of neuroscience has captivated me for years now ever since one of my brilliant daughters began educating me on the science of the brain 
When Kate, now a junior in high school, was in the seventh grade, she came home from school one afternoon and announced to the rest of us and her two brothers, her sister, my husband Zach, and me that she was going to cure Alzheimer's disease someday. I'm not really sure how to pronounce that name, so please forgive me. We smiled, but years later, she's still reading books and articles on the subject, listening to every TED Talk on the brain. Sharing research with me, things like, did you know that more has been discovered about our minds in the last 20 years than all the time before that? Did you know that an estimated 60 to 80% of visits to primary care physicians have a stress-related component? Did you know that the research was 75 to 98% of mental, physical, and behavioral illness comes from one's thoughts life? Did you know that with what we know about the brain today, when the scripture is talking about the heart, it is really talking about the mind and emotions and experience in our brains? Well, no, Kate, I did not. But that is very interesting. And the truth is, it is very interesting to me. Somehow along the way, Kate's fascination became mine too, because she taught me that she is learning in science and also scattered throughout the Bible. And many of the truths in the Bible concerning our thought lives have been backed up by science. This all became interestingly important to me as I became gripped by the idea that taking control of our minds could be the key to finding a place and peace in the other parts of our lives. For several years, I had been deep running if gathering the organization. I believe God prompted me to start to disciple women and equip them to disciple others. I loved our community, our gatherings, and the impact we seem to be having. But over time, I noticed a troubling trend among the women I loved and served every day. Women would feel conviction at, at an event, and as they worked through our discipleship resources, they would surrender their lives more fully to Jesus, and they would soar on the wings of that resolve for the week, a month, sometimes a year or two, but inevitably, at some point, they'd slip back into old habits, old partners of doing life, and maybe you know exactly what I mean. Maybe right now you're thinking of that toxic relationship you finally got out of, but then in a weak moment, resumed. Or you finally found peace about a less than desirable season of your life, but now your emotions have spiraled downward again and all you do is complain. Or you were convicted about your porn habit and stopped only to slip back into to that habit weeks later. Or you recognize a pattern of being critical of your spouse surrendered it and truly started to change just before you circled back to where you began why i wondered don't the changes so many women desperately want to make stick over the long haul and why do i struggle with some of the same fears negative patterns and other sins that i have been fighting for years even as i observed the boomerang effect at a broad level i was in a relationship with my dear friend women i knew well who seemed to battle the same issues year after year each time we'd get together, I'd hear the same song, 500th verse. What prevented them from thriving? Why couldn't they get unstuck? Kate's discoveries as she continued to study the brain suggested one strong possibility. It's all in our heads. There is much we don't know about the brain, but what's also true, like Kate says, we have learned more than the brain in the past 20 years than we know for the previous 2,000. We once thought of the mind as an immemorial thing, the brain you were born with and the way it worked or didn't was just how it was. No sense fretting over what can be changed. We now know that the brain is constantly changing whether we intend for it to or not. 
In hopes of discovering how women can break free from our problem and patterns, I started picking up heady books about the mind and about neuroscience and about how real change occurs. I watched TED Talks that Kate pointed out towards me toward our brain's plasticity, and I listened to brainy podcasts, and I watched brainy documentaries, and I talked to brainy people. I began to see a pattern at work in many of us, and our emotions were leading us to thoughts, and those thoughts were dictating our decisions, and our decisions were determining behaviors, and then the behaviors were shaping our relationships all of which would take us back to either healthy or unhealthy thoughts. Round and round we go, spinning down, seemingly out of control. Our lives become defined by this endless cycle. Depressing? Unless there is a way to interpret it. How many of us are spending all of our energy in conversations and counseling and prayer trying to shift the most visceral thing around us, our emotions, yet having no success? If you feel sad and I tell you to quit feeling sad, has any progress been made? What if instead of spending our energy trying to fix the symptoms, we went to the root of the problem, deeper? Even if the emotions that seem to kick off your cycles, the reality is, is our emotions are byproduct of something else. Our emotions are a byproduct of the way that we think. Here in this book, um, she has a spiral down. The top of the spiral is emotion, like the second part of the spiral is your thoughts, the third part of the spiral is your behavior, and then the fourth part is your relationships, and the end is consequence. And like I said, I'll put this on um, Instagram so you'll be able to see it and kind of follow along with like what we're reading. What's good about this news is that we can change our thinking. The Bible tells us so. Do not be conformed to this world, one verse says, but be transformed by the new renewal of your mind. My deep dive into the inner workings of the brain confirmed what the Bible has says. We can take every thought captive. Not only can our thoughts be changed, but we can be the ones to change them. The problem is we get on the spiraling train often unaware of where our thoughts could eventually lead, and the well-known Puritan theologian John Owen said that the enemy's goal is every sin is death. His actual words were, be killing sin or it will be killing you. It's time for us to fight. The average person has more than 30,000 thoughts per day, and of those, so many are negative at that. According to researchers, the vast majority of the illness that plague us today are a direct result of toxic throughout life. The spiral is reeled and stuffed with more thoughts than it seems we can manage. But what if instead of trying to make every thought captive, we took just one thought about captive? What if I told you that one beautiful, powerful thought could shift the chaotic spiral of your life for the better? Every time you thought it? What if you could grab hold of one of the truths that would quiet the fury of the untruths and has left you feeling powerless over your brain? One thought to think, could you do that? Such a thought exists more one than later i understand that despite the straightforward nature of my ass that you take hold of the one truth to focus your mind fulfilling it is no small thing why because a full-fledged assault is taking place in those folds of the tissue and that made you who you are the greatest spiral battle of our generation is being fought between our ears what we what we believe and what we think matters and the enemy knows it and he is determined to get in your head and distract you from doing good and to sink you in deep and make you feel helpless, overwhelmed, shut down, incapable, and 
rising to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Even if you're one of those who won't be shut down and you're loving God and people as you go, a million toxic thoughts haunt you in each step of the way. Whether you find yourself shut down or just haunted by nagging discontent, here is my declaration on behalf of both of you and me, no more. And I say on behalf of both of you and me for a reason. The great irony is that while I thought God was directing me to all this great groundbreaking information, how my friends could heal their lives by healing their brains and by thinking more thoughtfully about their thoughts so that I could keep everyone else and what I couldn't possibly have known at the time was what I needed to do to heal myself. So that was just the first chapter. And I feel like for me, that was very like, <sighs> overwhelmed like like yes we do let other things control us and we do find ourselves like falling short and feeling upset and feeling like like maybe we don't have ourselves in control and that's okay we don't have to have everything figured out but we can't we can't let the devil win we can't let him have that last inch of us um, so I'm going to go ahead and read chapter 2, and I don't think I mentioned this before, but I am going to try to break it up at least. Um, this whole week we still will be reading um, Get Out of Your Head, but I'm only going to do it chapter by chapter, so it's not like too much all in one day. So I'm going to go ahead and read chapter 2 and then after that I'm going to go ahead and read chapter 3 and then we um, will have like a quick discussion and then um, I'll be done. So chapter 2, what we believe. At least I'm not as dumb as her. Those words were spoken behind my back by Derek in my sophomore biology class. Derek was three times the size of every other awkward 15 year old in my grade. A guy everyone feared and I was shy quiet student who barely opened my mouth. How could he possibly find me dumb? The thing was, I wasn't dumb. I made all as and a few BS with little effort. Even in the... I made all A's and a few B's with little effort. Even in the most academically challenging classes, I look back at the sophomore girl sitting there at the long science lab table and wish I could hold her face and tell her how not dumb she is. But I'm not sure she would listen. Within an hour of Derek saying that she was dumb, those tiny folds of tissue between her ears had built an entire case against her value, her security, her intellect, and her potential that would play on repeat for the decade to come. A recent college grad with a degree in broadcast journalism I was interviewing for a job in a news station, and two men from the station took my friend and me to dinner. They didn't want to talk about the job. They wanted to get to know us. After realizing they were hitting on us, I sat there and thought, I will never be taken seriously in business by men. That thought made me believe I did not have anything to offer as a woman in business. I built a case against my education, training, and gifts that would affect me for years to come. My husband and I found ourselves in one of those real fights as a newly married couple. He ignored me and I slammed some doors pretty hard and he moved on, but I couldn't stop thinking he doesn't really love me and my mom started to build a case against our marriage. After losing my temper with my eight-year-old son, I lay in bed later that night thinking, am I failing as a parent? For years off and on, that twisted 
way deeper into my head. The thing is, I have always believed lies, and not just believed them, but built entire chapters of my life around them, and I'm pretty sure the same is true for you. My friend Christina, a licensed therapist, tells me that that 101 therapist tells me that therapists, when you choose to believe a lie about ourselves, is one of these three lies we believe. I'm helpless, I'm worthless, I'm unlovable. I tried to prove her wrong. Seriously, Christina, only three? I told her that I have known to believe 300 lies about myself in a day. Nope, she said, each one of those 300 lies fits into one of these three. For the sake of the argument, let's assume that Christina is right. The question I have for you is this. Which of the three do you most relate to? Is there one you are more vulnerable to the other? These lies, I'm helpless, I'm worthless, and I'm unlovable. Shape out of it, thinking that our emotions and the way we respond to the world around us, they trap us in the cycle of distraction and distortion and pain and prevent us from recognizing the truth that we should believe. Most determinantly, they change how we view God. Every lie we buy into about ourselves is rooted in what we believe about God. And let's say I tend to feel worthless and invisible. Let's say I read Ephesians and learn that God, because he deeply loves me, chooses me, and adopts me. Even if I don't overly deny the viality of that premise, I still doubt it is true for me. I nod at the truth, but I never fully absorb it and let it shape my identity. Then let's say I am married to a spouse who is typically distracted with work. I don't feel seen in our marriage, which conforms my deep-seated fear that I am indeed worthless and invisible. So even in the most consequential arguments with my husband, I feel anxious and start to spin every time he is short with me. I can't see all that he has on his shoulders, and I can't emphasize with his stresses, and my needs exceed his ability to ever meet them. Before long, we are full-on fighting constantly, and we don't even know why. My husband now has become the enemy in my mind, and I can't even seem to say what I need to hear or whom I need to be him. And the spiral of my thoughts have now invaded my relationships and robbed me of my joy and my peace. No human is ever meant to be a person who fills our soul or holds in place of worth. Only God can do that. But until I throw off the lie that God's love isn't for me, my emotions, decisions, and behaviors, and relationships will remain twisted up in the mistaken belief that I am worthless. When we begin to think about our thoughts, perhaps for the first time we can stop the downward spiral. We can resist and redirect them. That is our hope. Not that we would wrestle each and every fear, but that we would allow God to take up so much space in our thinking that our fears will shrink in comparison. I love the quote from A.W. Tozer that says, If God is exalted, a thousand minor problems will be solved at once. Sign me up. I want that. Want to know a secret? We can have that. But please know that the enemy of our souls has no intention of releasing his grip of our minds without a fight. And let me tell you, he doesn't play fair. Here we are just getting to know each other and I'm about to let you in on some of the worst mental hell I've experienced. I'm preparing you now because it is heavy. I don't much like heavy. I like fun, happy things. But if I don't take you into the darkness with me, then you might not believe when I tell you that this is all wealth worth the face of the fearness 
of our thoughts, believing that God can bring about life and peace. I know this is possible and this is shifting of our thoughts and in turn out of our lives, I know because it happened for me. But before I discovered the thought that shifts us up from turmoil to peace, I experienced that all of the attack of the enemy. It was my first visit back at Little Rock in several months as I sat in the passenger seat of my mom's white SUV. I took into the familiar landmarks, my old high school, the Chili's restaurant my friends and I had frequently gone to after football and basketball games, and the pool I always swam in growing up. I was reminding of just how comforting coming home can be. Soon we arrived at our destination at Baptist Church, where I had scheduled to deliver two talks with a book signing event sandwiched between. During my first talk, I swung for the fences with the woman seated before me, and I was behold and clear of my presentation of the gospel message. There is a real enemy with demons at his beck and call, I told the few women thousand gathered. He wants to take you out. He is determined to steal your faith. I arch for them, experience the freedom Christ offers for them to refuse to sleepwalk through their lives. After that came the book signing. With the expected hubbub after, afterward, I somehow found myself standing there alone. Something I try to avoid at large events for the sake of personal safety is the participants that have already headed back into the auditorium to take their seats. Conference organizers were buzzing around, tending to details, and staff were all covering their various posts. There I stood in the foyer, just me and one other person, an icon-looking woman I didn't know. I realized I needed to get moving and find my seat ahead of the next session, which was about to start. I took two steps toward the auditorium when suddenly the kind-looking woman was in my face. Her expression darkened and her warm smile disappeared and her eyes narrowed as she focused intently on me. We are coming for you, she said in an urgent whisper. You need to quit talking about us. We are coming for you. Her comments were so out of context, I couldn't sort out what she meant. Ma'am, I said, I'm confused. What are you talking about? With chilling certainty, she said, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm sorry, I said, still seeking clarity. She repeated, quit speaking of us. I don't know what you're talking about, I said. Again, she said, you know exactly what I'm talking about, but I didn't, and then I did. I took several steps backwards and turned around the auditorium, approached one of the security guards who had been asking to cover the event, and said, it, said with as much composure as I could possible, the woman in, who's in the foyer just made threats against me. Can you please keep an eye on her? Moments later, I took the stage and began my last talk. Partway through, I heard shrieking in the hallway that ran alongside the large auditorium. The tiny hairs on my arms stood up as the end, and as I briefly paused, I knew exactly who was screaming. I knew exactly what this was about. Figuring the security personnel would take care of the distraction, I launched back into my talk. This was just a crazy woman making empty threats. I would go home and forget about it. Then the devil overplayed his hand. While the woman was screaming bloody murder in the foyer, the power went out. I'm talking all the lights. The entire sound system, the giant screens behind me, everything. We were silent, there in the dark. Did I mention that this was a huge mecha church with backup systems for its backup systems? On the sunny day during a heavenly staffed event, the power doesn't just go out. The screaming continued as we all listened, stunned. This has never happened before. The pastor of the church would later tell me. The screaming you heard was that woman you pointed out to the guard and her daughter. What was that all about? Dang. 
I mean, I proclaim Jesus and I believe everything he taught and taught us about the enemy and showed his power of demonic forces. The enemy wasn't mysterious to Jesus. To him, spiritual warfare was matter of fact. Jesus cut out cast out demons regularly and that's what the bible says while i believe that there is a real devil that he has real demons working for him and that the battle of our hearts and souls and minds is playing out all excuse me all around us all the time i'll tell you this i've never before seen such an undeniable manifestation of satan's work the experience could have been terrifying but instead it was a different outcome initially it made me wild with faith I vividly remember that night, and I talked about Jesus with everyone who would listen, including the waiter at my restaurant and my family I went to afterwards, my sister's friend who happened to be in town, and I was overwhelmed with how true it all was, God, heaven, and the enemy. This war we are definitely in. I never before been as sure as I was that day that all of this was true, which is why the spiral of the darkness that followed caught me in so incredibly by surprise. Chapter 3, Spiraling Out On my way back to my parents' home from that speaking engagement at Little Rock, I called Zach. He had been in an argument before I left to go speak and about what I don't remember. But I do remember my first words to him after he accepted my call. Hey babe, fight's over, okay? While I had him on the phone, I began peppering him with questions. How are our finances? How are the odds with anyone? Or how are the kids? I actually used the phrase, circle the wagons, as in we need to circle the wagons, Zach. What? Was our herd of cattle in danger? The truth was, I didn't know we were in danger and might meet. I didn't exactly want to find out. Why are you worried, Denise? he asked. My anxiety was showing, and I'm sure he was wondering. What went down at that sweet Baptist church? I told him the story, and never overly dramatically, my husband took me very seriously. Over the phone that night, we walked through all the parts of our life that were within control and made sure that it wasn't in an obvious place for us both to be attacked. We relaxed a little, but staring at the night immediately after I experienced such absolute certainty in my faith, every night without fail, I'd wake up at 3 a.m. to the momentary panic. Ugh, 3 o'clock again. It's not that I'm not accusing to waking up in the middle of the night, but woman who has raised children isn't. But this time, the wakefulness was different. My mind was racing and it terrified me. I would circle for hours in the middle of the night and it started with small thoughts and fears, wondering whether I was behind on laundry or worrying about one of my kids. But I would quickly move to bigger fears. Is God real? I was spending my life for him and that doubt suggested a terrifying possibility that I was wasting my life. In the dark alone, in the quiet, I would push it away, but it seemed to yo-yo back into my brain, a nagging question I couldn't shake. Ironically, my middle name is Faith, yet mine seemed to be eroding. Bible study teacher Beth Moore, a self-described former pit dweller, has said that there are three kinds of pits. The kind we jump into, and the kind we accidentally slip to, and the kind we are thrown into. This pit was the latter. I had been thrown in. The question that haunted me during those sleepless nights was how on earth to get out. I've known people who at this point in their lives began to doubt their career choices or even doubt whether they married the right person or doubt that their purpose in life. But what I was doubting went right to the core of who I was. I doubted the existence of God. Lying awake in my silent two-dark bedroom each night, I doubted whether God was real. If he was real, 
He, Did he really see me? Did he really love me? Did he care? What was I thinking? Of course God cared. Didn't he? When he had faith, I proclaimed with sincere fever, seeped right out of me. Who, who had taken it? Where had it gone? Would I ever get it back? Suddenly, I was filled with doubt. Truthfully, it wasn't sudden. It was slow, subtle, almost impersonable, growing slightly each night as I lay there in the dark. My usually cheerful and optimistic demeanor was replaced by a lingering uneasiness. None of the methods I had taught over the course of my life about getting a funk were working. I was still working out being productive at work and attending church, but my optimism was captured by a real full-on war from my mind. I was being pulled under these thoughts of doubt, continued their relentless assault, and eventually what behind what began in the night slipped into the daylight. More and more I wondered whether it was all true, but the daytime plenty of distraction exists. Grabbing distractions, our brain are excellent at that. And when it came to the moments I needed faith, I would choose it. I'd lean hand on decades of my story with God until I started to notice my passion eroding. My spiraling thoughts were dragging me into exhaustion. Doubt steals hope, and with no hope, everything that matters doesn't feel as important anymore. Have you ever been confronted with something so hard or heavy that it made you question everything you believed? I have since recognized that the enemy was at work, but in the midst of the downward spiral, I couldn't see it. My thought seems to have control over me instead of all the way around. Looking back, I wish I could talk to myself and shake myself out of the toxic spiral I was in. There was a way out. And if you are in the small spiral or an all-out tailspin right now, I promise there is hope. I'm helpless, I'm worthless, and I'm unlovable. There in the bed at 3 a.m., attack after 3 a.m. attack, I had somehow fallen prey to believing all three. Everything I believed before meant nothing. God meant nothing. Life meant nothing. I was helpless because I was nothing. I was worthless because I was nothing. I was unlovable because who loves nothing? The danger of toxic thinking is that it produces an alternate reality, one in which distorted reasoning actually seems to make sense. I thought about all the hard I had walked through the recent years, and yet I had watched one of my best friends suffer a series of massive strokes while also suffering an agonizing divorce. I watched my sister Kate's world and marriage fall apart, endured well challenges surrounding the adoption of our son Cooper, and faced an onslaught of criticism from lenders I respect as I mustered the strength to launch an organization and led a team for the first time. I watched my husband Zach go through a terrifying doubt with depression, and the list went on. Had my confidence in God's goodness been misplaced all this time? In the wee hours of the morning, I began to hypnotize about where my life was headed. Had I given my life a meaningless mission? Had all my effort and passion been for nothing? Everything that once seemed so true and vital seemed to be fading away. Around this time, my family went to see the latest Avengers movie, Infinity War. The movie had been out long enough that I didn't feel bad about the spoiler. In the end, some of my favorite heroes just vanished. Crumbling to ash and blowing away as if they had never been there and they never existed at all. As if their lives meant nothing. I sat in the theater, tormented by the idea that this was my destiny too. Whatever fulfillment I experienced, whatever impact I'd known, all of it was bound for vaporization. Nothing would matter in the end. 
I would be back in the dark, in the grave, the end, no God, no rescue. And I was nothing, and my life meant nothing, and nothing mattered now. If there is no God, then who cares about anything? I told you it was going to get dark. For 18 months straight, more than 500 days, this is what I thought, until I learned to think differently about my thoughts, until I remembered I had a choice. So, that is where I am stopping today. And I feel like it's so, it's so crazy. Especially the story, like, about the screaming and, like, the lights going out and, like, just feeling attacked. Like, truly feeling attacked. And it's like, why do we let our minds do that? Why do we let the devil attack us? It just kind of happens. I feel like the best example I can give would probably be like my boyfriend um he has definitely been through the fire um even before I met him some of the stories that I hear it's it's rough and things happen and you look at it like I I don't know if there is a god and I am upset and nothing ever goes for my favor and sometimes you have to sit back and be like look I know you have it in control. And sometimes I feel like he thinks he never gets a break. It's just like one thing after the other. And like Jenny was saying, like, it's hard and she gets that. And she has been in that same dark place. And that is our downward spiral because we start so high up and we get to that point And we feel like, yes, we've reached the top of the mountain. And then all of a sudden it comes crashing down just as fast because we feel defeated. And we let our mind tell us, like, you're worthless you up to nothing like you're not as strong as you are you're not as spiritual as you could be like we judge ourselves too much when we should just live out our lives with glory to God and do what we can and she'll explain it so much better than I can about the different ways that we can actually involve ourselves and do what we need to do to make things better in our lives and not have this like enticing like little voice in our head telling us that we're not good enough and that we're worthless and yada 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 you know you know exactly what I'm talking about and you know that it's hard and you know that it sucks because everyone has been there I promise everyone has been there so with that being said um I do want to go ahead and kind of give you a little heads up about what's going to be happening within the weeks. Um, She has this thing called the mind map, um, which is basically like a blank page to write out your emotions, um, where you feel anxious or peaceful, overwhelmed, angry, afraid, um, write everything that contributes to how you feel and it's just basically like you talking to God about it you praying over your paper you looking through the patterns of your circle like are you willing to take over that control are you angry about what you've done wrong are you obsessed with what you have done is it the food is it the money is it the thoughts that consume you are you ashamed of what you've done in the past are you self-critical like those type of questions that you'll continue to ask yourself as you do the mind map um but I'm not gonna do too much of the mind map 
quite yet because we're not too far into the chapters but when we start getting towards the end i am gonna post a blank one on instagram so we can do one together um she does have an example one i'll do one myself and post it and then i will post a blank one um but i will probably go ahead and post the example of the mind map from her today on instagram um that way you can kind of get a feel for it and see like hey like okay, so this is what I have to prepare myself for as we continue reading, um, because I know it can be a lot to think about yourself, like, it's hard to criticize yourself when you're writing it down, it's like, hmm, do I do that to myself, like, but also, do it when it happens, like she said, like, when I feel like I am fully in my faith, write it down, when I feel like I'm being hard on my body, write it down, like, don't even think twice, just, like, grab the paper, put it down takes two seconds and then you're just like dang I really thought that like you don't give yourself enough credit and you put yourself down and that's what we're trying to get rid of that's what we're trying to both of us all of us working together to get out of our head so um we stopped right before I believe it's chapter four so we've only got a few more left to go and I will be keeping updates like I said on the Instagram and I thank you for listening today. Um, let me know if you like this type of stuff. I have more Christian books that I need to read that I have not read that I have not read. Excuse me. I cannot speak. It's too early. Um, I do have a relationship book that has like a devotional in it and it's like I can't I bought it and I started reading it and then it was like a little too true for me and I just closed the book so I want to read that as well so let me know if you would be interested in more stuff like this if you don't like this then maybe you can read the book and then we can just discuss it because I know that I get tripped up on some words sometimes but it's also really early in the morning and teenagers will understand adults maybe not so much but I know that y'all love me so it's okay you'll forgive me and I'm gonna try to edit some of it out so nobody gets upset that I trip over words but I love you and God loves you and that's where I'm gonna end it today <laughs> bye guys mm-hmm.